I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Formula for Success. I'm David Coulthard and alongside me, as always, in the virtual world is Eddie Jordan. Today, we're going to pay tribute to someone who I was extremely close to on and off the track, and that's the late Gilles de Ferran, who sadly passed away recently at the age of 56. Everyone at Formula for Success extends our deepest condolences to the de Ferran family during this difficult time. And we have the perfect guest to honour the great man on this week's show. And that's Paul Stewart, who paired Gilles and I together in 1990. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, David. Yeah, and, and it's, uh, yeah, Eddie is um, at arm's length in another studio far, far away. Thankfully, Paul. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, David. Uh, Paul, how are you? I haven't seen you for a while. Uh, and uh, in one way, it's delightful to see you. In another way, it's sad because I know how close you were to Jill and know how much he owed his career to you and to DC to some extent. But um, getting a start in any kind of racing is so vital for these drivers. We're hearing it time and time again. So, uh, Paul, you were, if you like, a much younger version of Eddie Jordan. I applaud you for that and the people that you brought through. Jill was an amazing guy. And uh, I particularly, um, I wouldn't like to think that I put the two of them together, but Angie, his wife, who I adored, she came. I think she was my first ever PA, if I would like to call them that, but she was my assistant, my friend, my colleague. Uh, she was a joy to have. And um, the connection, David and Paul, the, the, you know, the motor racing in that family, it's not all coming from Jill. I must remind people, if you don't mind me, just waxing on here a little bit, but uh, Angie's cousin, she, she was a Buckland, but her, her mother was a T. And so Deborah T, the famous girl who, who does all of the PR stuff in and out of Formula One, Stephen T, who's probably one of the greatest Formula One uh, photographers. And it, it went through there. Motoring news was something that you couldn't not have on a Wednesday. It always came out a day before Autosport. It had the heart and soul of real racers. So it covered rallying at club, club racing and various different types of racing, not just Formula One and not just the Formula Three and 3000 or the Formula Ford races. Uh, it was a class act. And Angie Buckland was a joy to work with. I remember... Very, very clearly, 1972, I, I, I don't know, I subjected her some awful things, but I, I dumped her in a car with me and a, and a sponsor, and we drove to Nürburgring to see Tommy Byrne doing the European Formula 3 race, only to find out when we got there that there was six foot of snow, as often the case would happen at early springtime in Nürburgring. Uh, but that was the kind of introduction that Angie got into Formula 1. She wasn't flustered, she wasn't daunted. 
It was in her blood, motor racing, and the fact that she and Gilles and then other things have happened, which maybe, David, you will relate to in terms of house owning and kids at school and the Dragon School. God, I adore this family. It's such a very sad moment to have to be part of this programme. Yeah, well, lovely words, Eddie, and, um, you know, teeing up nicely how Angela made her way to Paul Stewart Racing, um, which is what brought Gilles and I together. And, Paul, it was, yeah, end of 1989 where uh, I'd finished my first year in car racing. I'd met Gilles, uh, who was also racing in Formula Ford, and discovered just how quick he was, how focused he was, what an intelligent man uh, he was. And, and you decided in your newly founded Paul Street Racing to put us together in Opel Lotus. So that set us on a, on a route that not only as teammates, but as, as great friends that has continued up until his sad passing. Yeah, well, that was a start of uh, the first year, really the progression of the staircase of talent. When Camel had come in and they, we had the Formula Vauxhall Lotus and European GM Championship and then Formula 3 and 3000. So you and Gilles were the first two drivers really on the rung at the time. And uh, what a pairing it was. It just seemed to fit right from the start. Gilles had a test at Donington and he did that successfully. And so we went ahead with him. But DC here didn't want to do the test. He said, if you want me, have me. <laughs> so, so he always had one up from Gilles right from the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, during during that time, it was it was a shock to the system in many ways for me having a teammate. I'd never had a teammate in my life before, and you know, Jill broke the the mold in terms of what expectations of a teammate. We we were put together, traveling across Europe in a in a car, sharing rooms together, you know, falling out on the racetrack occasionally together. But through it all, he he was always able to separate, wasn't he? The that what happens when he's working. And when he worked, he was a deep thinker. He was, you know, if it took me a few minutes to decide in gear ratios, it would take him a few hours. You know, he really analysed things to the nth degree. But when he left the racetrack, what fun we had all together around barbecues and caipirinhas and, you know, you're the godfather to his son, I'm the godfather to his daughter. So look, and... And Anna, and, uh, you know, we, we've just had such a bond over all those years. First of all, I know we want to be uh, respectful to Gilles and to his family, but, boy, we've had shed some tears over the last few days uh, together and about with the family and so on. So I'm going to try and, when I possible, be appropriately lift the spirits whenever I can because, boy, uh, the three of us, and individually, whatever, we, we all, we shared everything in terms of, there was no filter between us. That's how it developed, really. Um, over the years, there was zero filter, especially my last conversation with Gilles was the day before he passed away. Thankfully, on a FaceTime call, I was parked up at a car wash. And I sat there in this car wash for over an hour talking to Gilles. We never talked about a car once or McLaren or anything. And uh, boy, was I lucky to have that call or that time with him then because Angela came on right at the end of it. And uh, just to see the two of them smiling together is probably was my enduring last, you know, memory of seeing them like that. But um, yeah, um, God, he was a serious one when he put his thinking cap on. And uh, I'll give one story, actually. When he finished racing with us in Formula 3000, Boy, I got this report of everything, technical report of how to improve the team, how this, that, next thing. 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure I even read the whole thing. It's <laughs> so long. It's so long. <laughs> <laughs> but I never told him that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Him. He was he was a deep thinker. Well, you know, we we've had the pleasure of of, of you know being his friend and, and racing colleague. Eddie, you uh, also had the, the the pleasure of negotiating with him, but not on motor racing for driving, but on a property. You you sold your house to them in Oxford. How was it negotiating with uh, Joe? You'll be very pleased to hear this, DC, because I can finally admit that I've had my pants taken down and uh, it was by none other than Gilles de Ferran. That doesn't happen very often, as you will remind everybody, but it did happen on this occasion. But we were keen. Marie was captain of Sunningdale and she was a three handicapper. So she was looking to, we were out of motor racing at the time and she was keen to move down to, to Wentworth where we bought a house and I needed to sell where we were first. Uh, and then, you know, Gilles came and he offered me a price and Marie said, you can't possibly sell it for that. Um, and so she saw another side of me. She saw the giving side, which I don't admit to very often. But anyway, um, he came and he offered a price uh, and I accepted it. And sure enough, I could have possibly, if I'd held out, got several hundred thousand pounds more. But the fact is it was done. It was, we moved on and stuff. And we were friendly and I absolutely loved Angela, I mean, she was the darling of our house. And, um, but then she spent all of those early years as EJR, Eddie Jordan Racing, um, the, the Martin Brundle era. Martin will have a lot to say, of course, about Angie. She was gorgeous. Gary Anderson, I saw some of the, the tributes and the, you know, the compliments that they all have paid to that family because it was something special. Um, because it was motor racing. If ever you wanted a family where motor racing, I know in your household, you, Paul, you have your dad, of course, and your mum used to do the, the pit wall and stuff like that. But this was different. This was, you know, it wasn't just Angie. It was her cousins, her mother, her father. Everyone was involved in that whole motor racing buildup. That family has been adored, revered and cherished for a very long time. And the passing of Jill is something that has touched so many people um, that we want to give back to that family. Yeah, well, I think, uh, Eddie, that you know, having spent time with, with Paul here, with his family, there's been a great support network around, but the, the strength of character of Angela, Anna and Luke is, is something that Jill would be incredibly proud of. It's obviously the hurting, you know, we all are, um, and the uh, the celebration and the memory of of Jules, the fact that it's touched so many people, is um, you know a testament to the man. Absolutely, we, you know we, we've obviously, we've, as Paul mentioned, we've been between tears and laughter. You know, I, I made the comment about uh, you know when they made Jules to use the old cliche, they broke the mold. Well, anyone who knew Jules well, he had a huge head, a huge set of shoulders, so you know an unusable mold for anybody else. The shape of him. But um, yeah, what, what a what a very um, you know incredible individual, really, Paul. And you know that that's <clears> something that you've had many different drivers come through Paul Stewart Racing in the early days and Stewart Grand Prix. But and and you've got of course relationships with all of them. But there was a deep and personal relationship with you, some a bond that that has lasted his lifetime. Yeah, I mean the bond I had with him and the, the bond that we all had with him in the team. I mean, the bond that you had with him, that my father has with him, my, a mother has, uh, my brother. You know, it, it's, um, it's quite unique because I can't think of any other driver other than you. I'm trying to cast through the list of drivers, but certainly that, that bond that, uh, 
was something that we had all the way you know, for so long, really. Now, there was one moment I'm thinking about here when, when you were both racing for Paul Stewart Racing. And um, my father's been one that's always not very happy about anyone going skiing while being racing drivers. But uh, <laughs> yes, I remember so this. Do you see it in Shield? And Angela, and I don't know which girlfriend you might have had along at the time, David. <laughs> I don't know which one um, it was. Had, uh, had arranged a ski trip. And uh, my father got to find out about it. And he somehow managed to track you down. I never said anything, by the way. God knows how he found out. And then he called up either you or Gilles, just called up DC, and said, you know, open the conversation up, and I'll hand over to you on that one. Because- yeah, well, I was, I was living in a house with a family, the Parius family, Brian and Don Parius in, in Milton Keynes, who very kindly opened their, opened their home to me when I, when I joined Paul Stewart Racing. And they, they, I didn't have a mobile back in those days, so they, he called uh, the Parius household, they handed the phone over to me, and all that Jackie said was, don't ski. <laughs> and the only thing that I could say in response is, Jules going as well. <laughs> <laughs> we were busted. We were busted. Hang on a second. Had you gone by that point? No, no, no. This I, was prior to going skiing. But I thought there was a call also for some reason, you know, so hi, and what are you up to? What are you up to? And it kind of... <laughs> You had to realise he knew something, yeah. and then you had to confess. But yeah, anyway. no, no, Jackie had his uh, spider senses out there, and he could always track down when we were getting up to mischief. And we had a lot of mischief over the years. But for, for the listeners who, who never had the, the privilege of, of meeting Jules, um, I think it's important that they understand that although he had his eyes set on Formula One, circumstance, finance, opportunity didn't allow him to get more than, than a couple of tests, one with Williams and one with uh, Arrows at the time. But he found himself in America in 2000, 2001, IndyCar champion, you know, Indy 500 winner. He still holds the, the fastest qualifying lap ever at 241.42 miles an hour, a race that he went on to win. I was there, actually. It was uh, in, in Fontana. Uh, when he did that qualifying lap, absolutely incredible to to have that as, you know, to be one of the fastest men ever in a race car. It's it's a great legacy. You know, he certainly owned his his time in Indy cars. It was respected by everyone he drove for. Um, he was in control. Um, he was thoughtful, and he had a good sense of humor. I think people just enjoyed having them having Jules part of his team as much as as we did. Um, at Paul Stewart Racing. And Gilles and I were teammates in 93. And boy, there was not one difficult bad word ever. And we just sort of went, drove together, had a great time. And I do remember, actually, because Angela um, DeFerrin, or Buckland, as I say, she, um, we finished racing in Manicourt, and she was back in London. And then we left... Angela had been promised that Gilles would get back that night, but we got caught in so much traffic, and Gilles was stressing about it. We pulled off into Disneyland in Paris, and <laughs> Gilles had to announce to Angela that we're not making it home, we're going to be in Disneyland. And boy, he was stressing about that. That's how much he loved Angela, and he always did. But um, So I just want to say he was just a beautiful teammate to have, and I just love those memories. Yeah, yeah. I only ever had one fall out with him and that was in Zolder at the beginning of that Opel Lotus season 1990 where I ran into the back of him on the first lap and punctured his tyre. I went on to finish on the podium. He spent the remainder of the race leaning over the pit wall giving me the wanker sign every time I drove past which was, you know, which you know, I understood he was frustrated and we had to drive back from Belgium all the way to the UK taking the boat, just the two of us and 
he didn't, he, we didn't fall out in as much that he just didn't talk to me for the entire journey. And then next day we picked up as if it was, you know, everything was just normal again. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I just wanted to ask you two guys, because I think it's kind of important to know. We talk about the difference between American style racing and British. Of all the people... And Paul, of all the drivers you've had and all the drivers I've had, uh, I'm not sure I have ever come across anyone quite as horizontal or as laid back or as easygoing uh, as Gilles, or at least that was the outer perception and, and the appearance. And I often wonder, did that play against him in some respects? Because we know looking at somebody and appreciating see how they were, you know how rough and tough Formula One was or could be. And I'm just saying, did that... Did that prevent him or did it hurt him, hinder him? Call it what you like. What's your review? Well, I, I, yes, in some ways, possibly. I mean, the really most important test he had was with arrows and he was out of the car and, and was walking back to the, the, the garage and his head was down like he would be thinking deeply. And he whacked his head against uh, it's a big head as we already identified against the belly locker. You know how they you'd remember all that how they're all sticking out the side, and he he didn't see it, and he whacked his head, and that was the end of his test of the day because he was bleeding, and he couldn't go back. I think if he had finished that test that day, he would have given an F1 drive. So maybe he was thinking a little too hard, <laughs> but it happened the right way, you know, that he had a long career in, form, in, in Indy cars and, uh, you know, it was the right way. But yeah, he was a deep thinker and, and it certainly helped the team out. It helped me out. It helped David out. As you said, he's thinking about his gear ratios and everything. So I think it probably has a whole package. It, it's the way he was. And that's why we loved him too, by the way. Um, you've talked about uh, Angela quite a lot here. And, uh, you know, I should also say that they met, uh, Angela and, and Gilles met at, at Paul Stewart Racing. And so I hired Angela. I think at the time she had, it was at Jardine PR and she came to us. Um, but I always say that I work for Angela. So whenever I said, said I, I work for Angela at Paul Stewart Racing, because that's how it was. Boy, she got, but she, so the two of them together had a really great little combination. And I'm also very happy that they met while racing, while Gilles was racing with David at Paul Stewart Racing. There was a famous weekend which I only have heard about there was a race or test I think somewhere in the south of France Paul Ricard and obviously Paul Stewart Racing had got round to hiring a little house because Angela thought it'd be a good idea <laughs> and to arrange everyone together and uh, I think it became a quite a scene that that little yeah trip. well thankfully because we needed uh, time to acclimatize to the time zone change from <laughs> London to the south of France we I think we had that house for a week courtesy of Paul Stewart Racing and it was a house where, you know, Jill and Angela were there. I was there with a, a gentleman called Dave Boyce, who looks after my son in karting and, and, and is known to many who listen to this podcast. Uh, there was Stephen T, there was Deborah T, there was Julian Bailey, there was Keith Sutton, the photographer. 
And we, we had a, a, a brilliant week building up to going racing at, uh, as a support race in, in Paul Ricard. And of course, everything sort of centered around mealtimes and maybe a wee dram. And Gilles was m- never more happy than standing at a barbecue. Director True. of meat. Yeah. Usually in a pair of swim, uh, you know, swimsuits, swim shorts. Or Too small. It is. Too small. No, um, belly hanging over, cigarette in mouth, and the either the wee dram in the in the other hand. And he was a very good chef, by the way. He loved his meat and loved cooking in his barbecue. He, he, he did indeed. And you know, that, that a life well lived is, I think, the expression that would sum up. Um, even though too short, uh, he certainly crammed a lot into his his journey of life. And it's great that we're able to enjoy celebrating. Um, his achievements and that of uh, his his own unique personality. He, like both of you, uh, got into team ownership and uh, has been involved in management in Formula One teams, the, uh, the the old Honda team, which has become Mercedes, and of course, two stints at McLaren, uh, as well as having his own sports car racing team. So is that something that, you know, someone like myself has never been involved in, in the management of a team? Did, did that give you guys another little bond, another connection? Because I guess, you know, drivers, we, we, we have a, a a bond through knowing what it's like to be in the race car, but you've also got that bond with them through ownership and management and the pressures that go with that. You know, there's so many occasions where drivers don't get on and don't talk to each other and various other things. I just think that the team in itself was a much stronger bond. Uh, and that's why when you would have somebody like Gilles included in the bond, he was so easy to work with. He was so easy and so enjoyable to have in the team because he was a, a one million percent team player. He was such a devoted personality within the team and only striving for the best for the team, of course, for himself as well. But, um, you know, I think it was different, David. I can't really answer directly the question, but, you know, that's the way I see it. I always thought, as we're all in this together, guys, let's see who's in the trench and make sure that even no matter how insignificant you might think that person is, you never know when you're going to need him. And so, therefore, everyone has to be able to fight together. Gilles was identified as a deep thinker who wouldn't engage in an, in an issue without having a proper understanding of everything that was involved. So he wouldn't just throw in his, his, his two pence worth just for the, for the sake of it. He'd really understand. So his advice would slot in really well. And, you know, I think it's in particular sort of manifested so well this year at McLaren because he was deeply involved in, in overseeing many of the things and little changes and what not to change. Yeah, well, he had an engineering background, so he was very drawn to understanding the, the engineering, the science behind it. And uh, he was at his happiest at the track, affecting change, uh, working with people, whether it was, you know, when Fernando Alonso went to race in America, he was the man, the go-to person for Fernando to lean on for advice on how to tackle the ovals. And that, that you know, developed their relationship to another level, um, as well as, you know, the roles that you've just mentioned, Paul, with McLaren. And he's really you know, there with Andrea Stella and, you know, with Zach Brown affecting change in, in that team and quietly and effectively empowering the, the, the engineers and the drivers to exploit the potential. Um, Eddie, you being older and wiser, um, you, <laughs> you've 
Yeah, well, <laughs> I, uh, I see you sniggering. I see you persniggering there. <laughs> Don't you fool me. Go on. No, we're all in the same boat on this You're one, Eddie. Creeping, Don't worry. David. What do you want this time? No, I'm no. I'm actually sincerely seeking your counsel. And, you know, th- this, we, life is full of ups and downs and, and, and tragedy and losses is part of the journey of life. And touch wood selfishly, I've, I've not had to experience too much of that. And uh, we all deal with loss in different ways. And what I was was seeking was just your sort of philosophy on it. And and, and you, you know, you've got a big family, a, a big bond, and I guess the Irish way of celebrating life, you know, you do wakes, which uh, you, you have the, the, the deceased with the family in the home. And that's not something that we do in Scotland. But I was just really reaching out, EJ, to to gather some thoughts from you on you know how how, how we deal with the, the passing of of loved ones. Our attitude on a situation is like this: is life is not forever. Um, it, it, you know, you will, we will all die. That's the only certainty that we all have, that there will come a time that the shutter has to be pulled down and that's it for you. So you've got to live for the moment and you've got to do the very best you have to do for yourself, for your family and for your loved ones. So I think Gilles did that. So he, he has left us in very good shape. And I, I just feel that we have to be very sensible about death. It's, it's, it's not something that anyone ever likes talking about, but it's inevitable. And it's happened to Gilles. But let's just think about this. I would much prefer to have been in that car as Gilles de Ferran than being locked up in a home where I am struggling for 10 years at a time. And we all know that longevity is fantastic but it's the quality of the longevity. Let's not, let's not be too harsh on, on ourselves or whatever the tragedy, and I know it's very painful, but Gilles died doing exactly what he wanted to do, nothing better. He was driving a race car with his son in the sunshine in Miami. Let's think about that. I think the joy that he had just prior before he died was immense. And that will be, if you like, a blessing for all those people around him to think about what Gilles went through, because I think he had a lot of joy in his life. Eddie, uh, you, I'm going to be careful here. I'm going to start tearing up. I don't want to do that on this show in front of David. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're talking about all this of calm and and. and uh, sort of easygoing side of Gilles, but you know, on a, on, a, on another side, he, you know, he really was um, had so much determination. And in some cases, I mean, there's one time we used to do the driving days at Alton Park with my father. Yeah. And um, Gilles was out in another Ford Escort or whatever it was on the track, and my father was busy showing Helio the smooth lines, <laughs> and Gilles came. Herring pass, got it wrong, out on the grass, passing my father in this car. And Helio, all he could think was, oh, my God. <laughs> and I think my father gave up some comment. But that is you. I'm in a car. He certainly could grit his teeth and get on with it. Yeah. Well, he, he had a, a small apartment, a one-bedroom apartment um, in Milton Keynes when we were teammates. And th- that road back to his apartment, there was a, a particular roundabout where the, the sort of inner kerbing was beautifully presented for him to get half of his Renault 19 as it was up this kerbing and and you know we never failed to go through that roundabout without the car being on two wheels 
But um, we established our positions um, in life and in the kitchen, whereas he did the cooking and I did the cleaning. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why I've got these very soft, delicate hands from, from all the washing up. And uh, yeah, so it's, we're going to miss those moments, but he definitely made his mark both sides of the pond, which I think is something truly remarkable, that he may have had his racing success in America behind the wheel, but his influence on Formula One will will on go. It was properly felt. Um, it might encourage a few people to go for checkups as well, maybe, possibly. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody, I think, actually, we'll finish. Eddie, you talked about him being in a car with a son, and what a way to, 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 to go. You've got to go one day. And that was Gilles' rationale. He was like, look, I'm fine. I'm never going to grow old, and I don't really want to grow old. That's, and, he always, and it used to piss us off because he said, let's just go for a checkup. You know, we, selfishly, as the three musketeers, whatever, we did a lot together. Um, we didn't want to lose him. So uh, anyway, he, to go out and actually put his foot on the brake to slow the car down with his son next to him, that's a mark of the man, onwards and upwards. Absolutely. Oh, just one well, small thing to finish. Sorry, uh, just because you brought it up. 12 years ago, my daughter was getting married and, and suddenly I, I, I was told I needed some stents. And I just would make this point to the people and the anchors. My cardiologist said, nobody, but nobody, she said to me, should die of a heart attack. And Paul, that is a very good thing, what you've just said. People need to make sure they are in control of their own bodies. And please, folks out there, it's not just that, it's the cancers and it's everything else. I think if we are um, sensible about our way of life and how we project it in the future and how long we need it to be, please use all the medical skills that are out there for us. I urge you, please, to take notice what Paul said. Yeah, absolutely. Get your checkups. And um, yeah, so, well, it's been an emotional one, but uh, thank you all for uh, joining us. I hope you enjoyed hearing us talk about Gilles. The stories could go on and on. Uh, we've loved honouring this great man who will be sadly missed. Um, remember, you can uh, follow Formula for Success on Spotify and whenever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find us on social media with the handle at F1 for Success. Paul, a closing thought to this particular podcast? Thank you for having me on the show. Um, for Gilles, uh, I love him, always will. I love his family. Our family loves his and lovely, you know, his kids all get together and we'll continue living on the dream. And celebrating his life indeed. Eddie, as the elder statesman of this podcast. No growl today as a great mark of respect for Gilles. Uh, I will miss him and Bucco, please be strong. I'm here for you anytime you ever, ever need a second view or a thought or whatever it is, please lift the phone. You've got a very strong Jordan family behind you. Uh, we love you and your family. Stay strong. Dear listeners, in memory of Gilles de Ferrand.